If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to softball superstar Monica Abbott about the challenge and promise of signing the largest contract in U.S. women's team sports and her really great efforts to support equal pay across all work in America. And with everyone talking about Space Jam these days for some reason, we will unearth the other Michael Jordan movie from the 1990s, the only movie worse than Space Jam. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. On the phone with me, two-thirds of our usual cast of other characters, starting with Respected PR executive Adam Willard. Adam, how you doing? Hmm. That's a much better intro. Can we stick with that? I like that. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's respected. Uh, <laughs> right. Adam. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Maybe by a couple people who don't know me well. Um, I'm okay. I um, I have been home all day. The every year I've worked in sports in one form or another for 20 years, including college. And every year I get sick after the season. And uh, it came today, and I've been at home all day. I've been there, so, man. I feel, oh. uh, slept most of the day, but here we are. I feel for you, dog. Yeah, sorry you're sick, my friend. Sorry you are sick. Uh, also with us, you hear, the, you hear the voice in our Brooklyn Bureau, our multiple-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth. Favorite 90s movies, go. Uh, it's early 90s, but I've been really, really into The Nice Guys recently on HBO. Uh, that movie was exceptional, and I just kind of keep it on in the background. That was written and directed by Shane Black. His action movie output of the 90s was pretty transformative. Uh, the Last Boy Scout was the first thing that came to mind when you said 90s movie. Uh, Adam, do you have a favorite pick since we're talking 90s, 90s Jordan biopic today? Uh, 90s movies, uh, Demolition Man and White Men Can't Murder, Jump. Death, Kill. Wesley nice. Snipes. Who's more, who, who's more 90s than Wesley Snipes? Damn right. <laughs> Always bet on black. I would, I was thinking about this myself. Um, if I just had to pick it, I, I'd probably say like Pulp Fiction kind of like defined the 90s and to a certain degree for me. But I, I, I that's not really like my fa- – I actually prefer The Usual Suspects to it. And I know all the movie snobs are going to say like, oh, The Usual Suspects, that's such a cop it's not that good. It is endlessly <laughs> rewatchable, man. Endlessly, endless, endlessly rewatchable. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you said 90s movie. Like Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies ever made. The Big Lebowski, 1998, is my favorite movie ever made. I will watch LA Confidential anytime it's on television. But when you say a 90s movie, like what right. Adam said, what I said, we do seem to think in a certain strain of quality and aesthetic for the 90s. Correct. Yeah, and we all couldn't have said face off, so, you know. <laughs> 
All right. All right. Uh, that that's a that that is one of those movies that's endly, endlessly rewatchable as well, but you never but never makes any sense. Dubs, bro. You can watch it a hundred times and make sense of that movie for me. It's terrible. It's about doves, right? <laughs> it's about what? Doves. It's about white birds flying in slow mo, right? Getting shot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. We are taking the open of the show and making it wide open. This is the time when, you know, we just throw out anything around the sports world, around sports culture, culture at large, whatever, for us to discuss. So, gents, Adam, let's start with you. Wide open, man. What do you want to what do you want to discuss? Well, I'd like to talk about another podcast and what I thought was probably the most shameful comment of the week. So, we so anyone who's been watching sports recently knows that there's been some strife in the NBA between uh, Knicks owner James Dolan and former Knicks star Charles Oakley. Um, Charles Oakley wanting to have an affiliation with the organization. Uh, James Dolan not wanting an affiliation and going as far as to call Charles Oakley an alcoholic. Draymond Green, who has... Uh, a podcast called Dre Day said this week, uh, you doing it for me, it's all good when speaking about this situation. You doing it against me, you speaking out my organization, it's not good anymore. That's a slave mentality, a slave master mentality. That's ridiculous. So while I do think there's, while racism still happens in sports, I thought uh, for Draymond Green to take it there, um, was probably the most shameful comment of the week. I'm not sure how a slave master mentality relates to this situation. Um, and it, it, borrow, it kind of begs the bigger question of we celebrate a lot of things that athletes do, but I'm not always sure that current players um, should have a, a channel or a, 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 an outlet where they can speak endlessly about certain topics because as it's happening right now, I think what they say gets picked apart. Um, I, I call me a traditionalist when it comes to uh, to athletes and, and media, but a locker room setting uh, where a guy can speak in sound bites for, for five to ten minutes and be done, I, I tend to be a, a fan of that more than giving a player a podcast where he can say things like this. I, Draymond's certainly entitled to his opinion, but it's been the sports news of probably the last two days and just doesn't seem uh, could have been easily avoided. Yeah. Here's the hot take I have on this. Draymond Green's got a podcast. Why am I just hearing about this right now, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured that would be your reaction. Yeah. Dre Day. It's a great name. Uh, great yeah, name. Say, great name. Great name. But I don't think anybody's heard of it until now when he called James Dolan uh, essentially a plantation owner. Um, yes, the NBA is is primarily African-American, but because I think certainly there's ego involved in the situation, but to call a guy uh, a slave master seems to be is a, a horrible accusation. I hope James and Charles can work it out, only they know why this rift truly exists. Um, Draymond, I never want to say be quiet to an athlete, but maybe don't have a podcast maybe come on just not sports and we'll promote it can i ask so i think it's really interesting you say that adam because you're 
always the PR person on this show that argues for athletes to be more transparent and uh, for better relationships with the media. So I love that, that like, okay, wherever the line was, I think we might have found it. But my bigger point kind of goes to one thing you just said. No one's ever heard of it. How much of a media formula is it at this point to person X starts podcasts or gets into broadcasting career and within the first six to eight weeks you want to get on everyone's radar so it's outlandish hot take b like person x plus outlandish hot take b equals oh now you're a media entity i mean like does he actually believe this or even worse is this like bullshit media formula i think it's a bullshit media formula um it's really interesting. It's a good point you make because I think we've seen two sides of the. I think players want to want to have a way to control their message more. So there's great ways to do that. I think the best recent example was J.J. Um, Watt talking about his injuries on Players Tribune, mm-hmm. and he hadn't talked to the media all year, and it was thoughtful and but very honest as well i think um you look at something like draymond green's podcast and he obviously took it a step too far and i don't i don't know that he was trying to be sensational and that he was trying to make a headline but he certainly did but then i on the other side of things i I do look at a player's tribune and um we've talked about on the show before and i've been critical of the player's tribune because I think, and I may be biased to my position, but judging by their numbers, I think even the the consumer or the audience um, sees the Players' Tribune as a safe place. Mm-hmm. So it's a place where athletes go, and there is occasionally some great storytelling, but it's also ghost-written. Um, the message is very controlled, and you have guys like Jeter and, and Kobe Bryant involved with that uh, publication who were very controlled when it came to media. So the Players' Tribune, uh, as Brad knows, I think within the industry, it's it gets a lot of attention. Um, they've done some great par- partnerships, but they still have under 1 million unique monthly visitors. So you see spikes when Kevin Durant uses it as a platform to announce um, – that he is is changing teams and J.J. Watt's article, which, as I said, I thought was a great example. But I think the fact that it's under a million hits a month says a lot. Um, and again, with Draymond Green, whether intentional or not, I think you'll see a couple you'll see a two week spike in listeners to Draymond's podcast and then it'll be right back down. So it begs the question, uh, should we leave this up? To, should we be leaving this kind of communication up to train journalists or in this case brilliant PR guys and producers <laughs> uh, to deliver the message and uh, and, and let players um, again it's a tough argument because of the nature of our podcast sure guys could be out sure guys can be outspoken but I think um, it takes more than getting on a microphone and and speaking on a topic to be able to to have a show or to write an article. I do think if you're going to uh, approach a hobby like other guys we talked to who were great painters or um, anything that requires a skill, there is some training involved. And so I think 
there's a responsibility on players if they are going to use their channels to, to deliver their message, um, to be thoughtful about their communication. I'm sure at some point on this podcast, we've all said things that uh, were maybe inappropriate, but I think we also do a, a great deal of thinking about our, our positions, especially on sensitive topics, and to call the owner of the Knicks uh, a slave master takes it a bit too far. Yeah, I mean, well, as a white man in America at this moment, I'd like to say someone mentioned slavery. Let's move on. I have no comment. <laughs> I, I, I kind of I, that would be an appropriate response as a trained journalist, Brad Burke. <laughs> here's what I it's a good topic. I mean, here, here's my wide open Le'Veon Bell releasing a new album March 1st called Post Interview promises to have more Skip Bayless commentary where he calls him Shrimp Bayless. I am in. Le'Veon, see you then. I have marked the date. Well, on the flip side of things, Draymond Green might see a spike of 100 listeners. Uh, I haven't bought an album in a while. I'm buying that Le'Veon Bell album. Okay. That is worth the price, the $9.99 on iTunes. Amen. I bought Dames. Let me ask you guys a question. What is the last album you bought the day it came out? Um, I can't remember the name of the album, Gareth, but it was a couple years ago when D'Angelo's new album came out. I think Black Messiah, Vanguard, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Vanguard's song on the yeah Black Messiah. I bought the day of because I've been waiting since I think two thousand. Was it 2001 or 2000 that he had put out Voodoo? Yeah, yeah. And they talked, to, and then he had legal and drug problems, um, and they waiting and waiting for this album to come out, and it finally came out, and I purchased it the minute it hit iTunes. Brad? I mean, I <laughs> you got me. I, I, I probably, like, probably, I mean, the two that came to mind, Gareth, are, Tori Amos's live double disc in the late '90s, and then Melancholy and the Ink, Infinite Sadness in high school. I mean, I, I, uh, you got to remember though, you got to take me out of the equation because I was a music critic from '03 to '07. So like, uh, you got the promos. I, like, I would get promos there, and or, you know, just sort of find my way into it. I'm not sure that I would rush out. You know what? I okay, Gareth. I probably when Jane's Addiction put out a new album. In the mid 2000s, the one with the entourage, the song the entourage song, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, good one, Adam. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I think that's what you mean. Man, that show that show continues to age gracefully, right? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, Garrett. Anything from Wide Open? <laughs> well, first of all, I have to tell you, like, I thought of it because of going to buy Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness with Brad on the day it came out in high school. And I was actually listening to Smashing Pumpkins this week. I will probably never listen to that album again. The The disappointment I felt with that up that album is up there with the Matrix sequel. But the last album I bought on the day it came out was To Pimp a Butterfly. So that was my contribution to this for recent history. Ah, good so. one. Hey, real quick on the Matrix sequel. You can you can legitimately call the Matrix Two like midichlorians the movie because it's all unnecessary explanations for things that needed no explanations and were ruined by them. 
Dude, uh, we could do a whole podcast on my feelings in watching that movie. Is one of the greatest disappointments of my life. Like, seriously? This is what you came up with? Uh, uh, whatever. Okay, moving on. We're trying to keep this segment shorter. Because um, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, my question to you, and this plays well into it, especially coming off the Shrimp Bayless comment. After the Super Bowl... And I went out with some friends who work at Fox and worked on that this week. I had a blast at that dinner, just like talking television and production and the feeling of going through the Super Bowl. We got into a bigger conversation just about what role studio shows play in sports right now. Brad and I were texting about it today a little bit. And so I just want to ask you guys, what sports studio shows do you actually still watch at this point? Brad? Wow, good question. I, Adam? Go ahead, Brad. Does Men in Blazers count? Yes, that, that <laughs> counts to me. That counts. All right. I, I, but that's like a weekly post-wrap-up slash comedy show. <laughs> right, but if you but that's where the, yeah. the industry is going. Like, if you said Inside the NFL, that's a weekly studio show. I would count that. So... Yeah, I watch that. I don't watch any of the pregame shows. And I don't watch. I, I pretty much just get my news. Like here's a good example. I have not watched a single NBA game this year from start to finish, but I've listened to every single one of Zach Lowe's NBA podcasts inexplicably because it's really entertaining and he's great. Right. Yeah. Adam, you. Um. So I've watched a couple episodes of Undisputed. Um. Where on uh on Fox. Yep. Um, sorry, uh, FS1, which as much as I have disliked Skip Bayless in the past, um, I feel it's a little bit more balanced. They tend to agree where I think maybe just the, the nature of some of the ESPN studio shows, they ask one guy to take a position A and one guy to take position B and then they, they scream at each other. And I, I have to say Undisputed is a bit more thoughtful until they started talking MMA because, <laughs> because there's so much UFC on Fox. Yep. Um, I think these guys, they feel compelled to make Shannon and Skip talk about MMA. And it, as someone who knows quite a bit about the sport, it is painful how little they know about fight sports. Uh, again, talking about journalistic responsibility, um, I know they're asked to talk about it, but if it's going to be an ongoing topic, uh, it's something they need to study up on. I, and though I think the only other show I watch is, um, ESP, is ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown, and really only because Wendy Nix is my good friend, yep. and uh, just like I'd want her to listen to Just Not Sports, uh, friend I of the pod, the Wendy Nix, for her, and and text her about her segments, and um, that's that's about it. Yeah. All right, guys. Last thing for wide open: uh, salad bar. Wait, salad bar. Oh, 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 what, oh. what? Yeah, yeah. I. Adam was saying, like, what about me? I I realize I have no. Uh, sports studio shows in my life. Like, but what I found interesting is that. Um, Except for CBS. Well, I mean, like, I work on them, but what I I found interesting was. I've really been enjoying watching Desus and Mero on Vice. And it, like 
that took me a while to get over the Vice thing or on Viceland on their their network. And they're the Bodega Boys, a good podcast, um, a very funny late night show, four nights a week. But it's done by the guys that produced or created, pardon the interruption. So it's interesting to watch that rundown format, news of the day, finally be taken out of the sports world and applied to a total general interest, talk about whatever you want, pod, or a late night show, and work. So... To me, it's not even so much about sports anymore, but, oh, that format, that works. And to see the influence in other places is fascinating. So that's yeah, my answer. I also, cool. I mean, props to the uh, TNT basketball crew. Like, I watch their banter online when they make news. And yeah, I, I, I would watch them more if I was watching, if I was watching games. Uh, fi- final wide open here, guys. Um, salad bars. Just, I mean, we need crisper peppers on a salad bar all right if you're gonna put them out and they're soggy just fucking take them back whoa 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 where is there what salad bar are you talking to mr suburbs i mean downtown man i work i work in the hancock building and uh wait you go to a salad bar brad you are a germaphobe you're telling (laughs) me you eat from a salad bar i don't eat from salad bars i prefer the pre-made salads that are in yeah vacuum sealed packaging, but sometimes I'll I'll rock a salad bar. Uh, I made a pasta Why? bake this week, and I want a side salad to go with the pasta. Um, and uh, okay, soggy peppers have no place on a salad bar. If I may, there was okay. a tremendous New Yorker article years ago by a guy named Burkhard Bilger. I love his writing, and he did a whole profile on the guy that developed the plastic that allowed lettuce to be shipped cross country. And basically we don't appreciate it necessarily, but in our lifetime, we went from only being able to buy iceberg lettuce to one of a hundred kinds of lettuce at the grocery store. Cause this guy finally developed the plastic that would allow it to be sent without dying. God bless America. And God <laughs> bless you, sir, who did that. Brad, I didn't make, mean to make fun of you. I'm just, I, I'm very surprised that you eat from salad bar. I'll eat, I'm sitting in my apartment right now. If I find food on the floor, I'll eat it. Yeah, but. but I'm surprised that you eat a dude, salad bar. I definitely did that two weeks ago with something of my kids on the table. Like I saw this piece of food. I didn't want to take it all the way to the kitchen and throw it away. I just put it in my mouth thinking it was going to be what they were just eating, which was like sweet cereal. And it was salty. And I was scared, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, by the way, you forget when you eat at like ten fifty-five in the morning when you eat lunch, you are <laughs> beating the germ rush, bro. <laughs> oh, but that's not the true. soggy pepper rush. So yeah, so when problem. Brad and I first met, um, again, signs that I knew Brad and I were going to get along. He was like, "Do you want to go get lunch at uh, eleven o'clock?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I sure do. I ate breakfast at eight, so it's time to yeah. eat again, and I appreciate that, Brad. That's oh funny. yeah! Hey, shout out to Courtney Quay, who I I like g- dragged him kicking and screaming to eating his his meals forty five minutes earlier over the course of like two years. Anyway, that is wide open. By the way, there is a loud screaming match happening in the hall of my apartment complex right now. I kind of maybe we should listen in. Wow. 
All right, moving on. Guy, girl, 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 guy, guy. Guy, girl. I'm just. Oh. Uh, I'm here in case anything goes yeah, down. Yeah, I was gonna I say if you gotta step in, man. Yeah. Okay. If I need to armbar somebody, so be it. Well, that is wide open for this week. Uh, if you got topic ideas, feel free to shoot us a note at Just Not Sports on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Just Not Sports at gmail.com. Right now, going to head to a quick break. When we get back, an interview with Monica Abbott. Monica Abbott is the world's greatest fast pitch softball player. Just took her talents from Chicago to a new expansion team in Houston, and in doing so, became the 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 woman with the so-called million dollar arm who signed a million dollar contract all in uh rumored to be the largest contract in the uh in the history of US women's team sports and yet uh you know it still comes with a lot of pressure a lot of baggage and a lot of work left to do uh in the in the fight for equal pay in sports and out so I break all that down with Monica. I had a great opportunity to meet her and, and, and uh, hear her at the ESPNW Summit a few months ago, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. It's not just sports talk about her team. It's, it's very much about the culture around women's sports and pay. And then we will be back to discuss Michael Jordan, the movie, which tells the inspirational story of an addictive gambler played by a convicted murderer. <laughs> Stick stick around. (laughs) We'll be back in a second. So, as I mentioned, I had the chance to to uh, you know to see you speak at the ESPNW summit. I thought the panel was was really outstanding. And first of all, congratulations on on the the new contract, the new team. Uh, You know, you're just getting started into your season preparations. How excited are you to? to really kick things off with <laughs> with this expansion franchise and and sort of help them identify help them sort of create an identity from day one. Um, I'm super excited. I think playing with the dogs out of Houston, Scott Bear Dogs is huge. They're making great great efforts to make a statement in not only athletics but female athletics and the softball world and um, continually driving for success and you know, when you meet a team or an organization or people that are so goal-driven, it makes you step your game up, and um, I'm excited about that. Um, you know, w- I guess when you talk about, like, the the contract itself made so much news, and that million-dollar narrative kind of became uh, one of those things that media latches on to, and, and I, I'm a former reporter, so I totally get it. You know, the whole idea of like, you know, she's got the million dollar arm and it's a record setting deal. How how did you greet, um, you know, your your status with the team, your new contract becoming this this kind of national talking point and referendum on the state of where women in sports are um, relatively overnight? Yeah, um you know the million dollar contract for the for the dogs. It was it was groundbreaking. Um, and at first, I was a little bit unsure of like how how groundbreaking it would be or how how much people would latch onto it um, as far as like the media around it and everything. But it's just continued to grow and grow. And I think it's because our timing is everything. And right now, we have so many great female athletes. Um, that maybe aren't getting the recognition that they need, that they deserve, you know, mm-hmm. 
whether, you know, whether you're playing U.S. women's soccer and showing like, hey, we are just as competitive and we win just as much as the men and not still competing for, you know, competitive winning money, you know, um, or competitive bonuses and having softball on TV, NCAA softball on TV, garnering like millions of viewers, you know, the whole world is watching the Women's College World Series. And Serena Williams and all these amazing athletes, even the, you know, the fabulous five gymnasts, we have so many great female athletes and getting them rewarded for their value and also us as women just holding a higher standard for ourselves, um, not only athletically, but financially as well. I mean, even in the first story ESPN wrote about it, they said, you know, we believe it's the it's the largest um, contract in the history of, of U.S. women's um, team sports. But there was this kind of cloud of of mystery to it. Like people <laughs> people didn't quite know. Um, how much did you know that what you were signing or what you were being presented was going to um, potentially set records uh, at the time that you were that you first saw it on paper? Um, I, when I first saw it on paper, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know it was the first one. And I had, like, a conference call with the head people from ESPN and ESPNW and just talking to them about, you know, who else has been there. And we contacted the Women's Sports Foundation and Billie Jean King and um, talked about the soccer people and other women's professional leagues and how that had all gone down. And we did our research of, like, who had it been had any other female athlete from a team sport had a contract like that. And there wasn't, there wasn't anyone. Um, so that's why it became such huge news. And then <laughs> right. just on the, on a, like timing is everything. Just with the equal pay act going out. Um, we all saw the Audi commercial uh, during the Super Bowl, oh, yeah. you know, with equal pay and um, just women's rights and things in the workplace right now being such a huge deal, it just kind of, I think, catapulted the story even more. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask you about because, you know, look at, I mean, obviously the Women's March a few weeks ago um, made such a statement coast to coast. I think so many of, of the things that women said in the, in the wake of the election um, not just because, and this is not to, to indict Trump or anything like that, but I think the, there was the, it, so many people expected the first female president and for such an upset to have happened, um, especially with a candidate who had relatively problematic things to say during the campaign about women at various times. Um, it felt like n- there's been a galvanizing presence for the way women are talking about um, you know, their experience in America, the issues they face. And I'm just, I'm curious from your perspective, do you do you welcome the opportunity to be a major piece of that narrative with this contract striking now, or did you did you feel like you know uh, at all apprehensive to the this the the increased pressure you might feel um, given the climate of everything happening around us? Um, I definitely welcomed the equal pay uh, conversation and. And just just women's rights and people continuing to strive to be their best. Um, I think one of our biggest things as women is creating that conversation. You know, we need to create that opportunity for other female, you know, advocates. For when you create the opportunity for for a big CEO that's a man to like create an opportunity for a woman. Those are conversations that we have to 
that we have to talk about and we have to be, you know, we have, we can't be afraid to bring up those tough topics and they are so important. Um, they are so important in these times right now because if we don't talk about them and we continue to shove them off to the side, then nothing, nothing will ever change. Right. You know, and we have to demand um, and create those opportunities sometimes if they're not given to you. So I, I get a sense from a lot of sports fans that they understand the equal pay arguments in the, you know, in the traditional American workplace. You know, I, you know, at my company, I get the fact that the, the executive next to me who's a woman um, should not be making 11% less or whatever the numbers say. In mm-hmm. sports, I think um, fans tend to get a little confused as to what the goals are. Um, sometimes there's yeah. a really equal or sometimes there's a really easy line to to delineate, like for the U.S. women's soccer team to say, um, we play the same number of games as the men. We have a you know, bigger proven track record. We shouldn't be getting less travel stipends or this or that. And yet, in when you start to apply it to other sports, the lines get a little bit blurrier because, um, you know, the NFL is making a lot more money than the women's, um, you know, uh, fly football league or uh, Major League Baseball has a different revenue stream than fast pitch softball professionally. So can you help us understand from your perspective in the in the sports context, um, as an advocate for for equal pay and for um, you know equality, what are some of the immediate goals that you hope to to have, and and how do they sort of apply to your specific situation and your sport? Okay, um, well, I think when we talk about equal pay and we talk about the sports and the confusion, yes, it's easy to see like okay, the CEO and me sitting next to each other. You know, she makes 11% less than me because she's a woman, but we both do the same job. I get that. And when it crosses over to sports, we kind of have to think put ourselves in a similar situation. So one thing that is important to remember when you cross over into athletics is that a lot of the male sports that we see, like baseball, basketball, football, those sports are a lot older those leagues, the NFL, the MLB, mm-hmm. um, the NBA, their leagues are, you know, 50 and 60 years old. You yeah. know, women's leagues are a lot, are a lot, um, are a lot younger. But we are also growing up in a time that is a lot more advantageous to us as female athletes than say when the NBA, NBA was first starting out. Um, also, you have to think about like the people that are supporting the. Um, supporting the Super Bowl. And at one point, you know, the NFL had to go out and try and get, um, had to go out and get a major sponsor. And that person created another sponsor and another sponsor and created a bigger event. Um, And now you see this huge event in the Super Bowl on TV, but it wasn't always like that. And it started somewhere. So as when you talk about equal pay, it starts with one person, right? Mm-hmm. It starts with one voice. It starts with one door opening, one glass ceiling being broken, and one opportunity being created for someone else. Um, they created an opportunity for me to create an opportunity for the next person. And um, when the next person comes on and the next person comes on and the next person comes on, then you're going to see, you know, the Pro Fast Pitch Championships um, just like you'll see the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or mm-hmm. things like that. But we have to have that one person creating an opportunity um, for the next person, for the next company. Um, so the question is now is, you know, who's go- who's who's next? Right. 
I, when you were speaking at ESPN, you said something that I thought was so remarkable and something I had never really thought about. And that is, there's a double-edged sword to being the person who's taking that next leap for uh, women's sports in that you might start to hear, well, this might be good for the greater cause, but it's not so great for the league or the team right now because they're investing revenue into one player. And that's an argument that, with a few ver- with very few exceptions, you just don't hear in men's sports. I don't think that when LeBron James signs a contract, they say, "Is this terrible for the NBA?" Um, with the yeah. same regularity that 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 women who sign even just incremental bonuses, it you know, or it's one thing if if Alex Rodriguez gets a two hundred and fifty million dollar deal, they say, "Is this good for baseball?" But no one says it about the player who got a, a million dollar contract. Um, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, on a random Tuesday. So do you feel like there's a double standard that, that many women feel pressure, even from their own leagues and teams to take less with this idea that, well, it's, it's better for the group in the long haul. So you just need to keep sacrificing. And and where is the point when self-sacrifice becomes counterproductive for the greater movement you guys are trying to do toward equal pay? Yes, just can I just say amen to everything that you're saying? Amen. <laughs> well, you said look, you said look, it. I just I've, I just repeated what you said I, at ESPN. Every you know, we've been playing. If we are constantly, if I yes, 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 yes. If I continue to accept, you know, let's say five grand or ten grand as my salary, if I continue to accept that as my salary. Am I really making a difference even though I know I'm valued as more? Mm-hmm. No. Like, am right. I really holding the standard of my team to, like, go out there and get that sponsorship or to go out there and sell more tickets or to go out there and think bigger? Because isn't doesn't that what it comes down to? We're afraid of changing and, like, expecting more out of ourselves? Abs- yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think y- when you talk about depressing market value – um, that's, you know, th- that's constantly something that, that athletes have to think about when they think about, well, if I'm a, you know, LeBron says all the time, he's against the maximum salary in the NBA because, you know, if he can't make his maximum amount of money, then there, you know, everything else gets artificially limited at some time, you know, um, beneath him too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, even in the MLB, there's a minimum salary, right? But no one talks about the minimum, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're only going to talk about, you know, David Price or Justin Pedroia or, you know, Clayton Kershaw signing the $120 million contract. They're not going to talk about the minimum salary guy that just, you know, got a 15% raise on it. So I think if the top echelon of athletes, male or female, keep lowering their value, the value of the lowest player in the league, their value goes down. So we have to continue. If you're LeBron James, if you're Clayton Kershaw, if you're Monica Abbott, you have to continue to push the push the bar higher so that the league goes up and that the player's salaries raise and the demand for excellence in all aspects, athletically, um, viewership-wise, um, experience fan experience wise continues to excel yeah and it's a bold move to be that person at the center of that right i mean there's going to be professional jealousy there's going to be increased pressure how do you internalize um 
you know, being the, the centerpiece of your entire sport and having to take, having to be very mindful and cognizant of every step you take becomes uncharted territory to a certain degree. Um, and that you're, you're kind of creating your own path that other people are going to follow in. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, it is, it's uncharted territory. It's, it's, you know, it's scary at moments. It really is. But, um, for me, I always think about like, I wish someone had done this for me. Mm -hmm. I wish, you know, there was plenty of really great female athletes before me. Um, I wish they had made that voice or somehow created a stance or something before me. And, um, how can I go out and be the voice for the future generation um, if I don't stand it, stand in that truth now? And um, it's really important to kind of keep, you know, have your, a tight inner circle and know the people that are all fighting for the same battles with you. Yeah, and my last question on the contract, because I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the, the new team and the new challenges ahead with that. I think, go back to that narrative. People see the contract and they, in the headlines and they think, Oh great, like that solved a lot or I remember seeing about Monica's contract that must be really great, but there are so many other issues that remain and so many other players who are fighting for, you know, like you said, they're making um very little salary or they or they continue to have to work off-season jobs or um you know, they uh you know, even even in your contract <laughs> there's there's performance or there's there's crowd number escalators. Like if there aren't yeah, enough people right. in the in the stands, like I, the first thought I had was like, if it's rainy outside, you just have to go to the mall and start like rounding people up in a van <laughs> and getting them to the stadium. <laughs> but those are things that don't exist. If it's if it's, if it's raining, then <laughs> I'm screwed. Dang it. <laughs> um, Please no rain out. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but those are things that that don't exist in. It, those are problems that don't exist in in men's uh, sports, the, the larger sports. And I'm wondering, do you, do you at all ever get concerned that th- a big win like you had with your contract, a big step forward, can make people then forget about all the other issues that are um, that are you guys are still fighting to um, to overcome as women who are, are are creating a new culture around around this professional sports league? No, I think like. We're just we just won one battle. The war isn't over yet. You right. know, we still have other things to fight, and 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 that's okay. You know, if we're not striving for excellence in so many different in all areas, then why are we playing the game? You know. Yeah. And um, and I think that's important to remember. So you're you know you're with the dogs. You're starting the new season. Mm-hmm. They're they're first in the league. What it what does it actually feel like to be, we, we throw this term around a lot, but like the face of the franchise, like how, how, how do you, how do you sort of internalize that role and what responsibilities do you feel like you have to help create a culture of success there? Um, I think, you know, it's such an honor to be, to be able to say that you're the face of a franchise, to be able to, um, be a voice for a team and a leader for a team like the dogs. Um, I think obviously my actions and what I'm doing is, you know, highly looked at versus, you know, say an outfielders. But I think that's a really cool opportunity to have because on any team sport, um, everyone supports each other. And so having the support of say, you know, your shortstop and your second baseman and, um, 
the front office people and your outfielders, they create a tighter knit group so that you can, it takes the pressure off of you being that base, if that makes sense. It makes the weight easier to carry um, because it becomes divided out between all of us. Um, but you're just happen to be the voice and the leader of that, of that group. You know, at, athletes change teams a lot. Um, and so we get kind of numb to it as fans, but just like from a personality and logistics perspective, like what's that like to have to just sort of uproot and move to a new, move to a new place, get to know all new teams. And then, you know, unlike maybe at, at various, like if you take an engineering job and you just go, it's, it's very similar. I mean, you got to develop all new chemistry on the field as well as off. Like mm-hmm. there's a new locker room uh, vibe that, that takes place. Just what's it like to kind of up and go um, and <laughs> kind of step into a whole new athletic culture? It's kind of like the first day of high school all over again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm just being funny, but um, you know, it is really different going to a different team or a different organization because everyone has a different system. And you have to kind of learn the system and how uh, different people work out. And it just takes more time. When you're at a team for a while, you know how, you know how, you know, this person works there. You know how your front office person is. You know, you kind of understand their personalities. But as it changes, as you change the team, you kind of have to get to know um, other people within the organization. And you, you start from scratch. It's just like a relationship. You say hello and how are you and good morning and you get to know them slowly. And as you develop those relationships, um, it becomes easier and easier to, uh, to manage, to manage for and manage and represent that team, um, the best of your ability. What's your favorite thing about, um, Houston so far? Um, Houston's great. Um, I love Houston has a lot of great lakes and pools here. Um, there's, and the culture is really cool. I think uh, just having a little bit of the southern, the southern country, and then a little bit of that bayou culture is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all kind of mixed in together. Um, so there's a really good culture here in Texas uh, that I'm really enjoyed. Uh, that I've really been able to get out and enjoy. Now, in looking at your social media, you seem to be a health food nut. Is that is that an accurate <laughs> portrayal? Yeah, I, I'm a pretty like healthy health food person for sure. So are yeah. you are you splur- like <laughs> are you splurging at all on any Texas barbecue? I mean, do do you, do you have to kind of pick out like, hey, these are a couple things that people tell me I'm going to try, so I'm going to violate my rules. Or as an athlete, is it like, no, nope, don't even take one, f- you know, one step away from the regimen, or else you'll never go back. Um, I'm like a pick your day type of person. <laughs> so if I go like too, if I go too strict, I just like. Dr- you know, I go way off the deep end. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, one one day this week, let's say it's Saturday. Saturday is going to be my day to, like, try the Texas barbecue or um, different things like that, which I've had. It's really good. Um, there's this place called Rudy's here that uh, that's been really good. That's really delicious. Your health food, even on Twitter, I, I see like sometimes you'll just, you'll kind of like, it's almost like you're sharing recipes or secrets. Like you'll say, hey, I'm having this for breakfast and there's less than 300 calories in it. I, I, it's very instructive. <laughs> um, do, do, do you ever get feedback from people that are looking for like tips on what to eat? Um, yeah, I get some I get some feedback on people just, you know, oh, that's a good idea or... Um, 
sometimes people sometimes actually people will be like, Well, I tried it with this. <laughs> you know, I oh, tried and then you're sharing this instead, you know. <laughs> you're going back and forth like sharing trade secrets, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like trade secrets. So it's fun. Um it's kind of fun to fun to hear what other people are doing as well and if they tried it and they liked it, that's good. Um, too. So Last thing, I mean, I know you've played in Japan in the offseason. Many women athletes, um, uh, you know, who are at the top of their game will get offers to um, to go away in the offseason. And I'm just wondering, like, what what was that experience like um, kind of diving into that culture? And what were your what were the things about it that um, maybe either opened your eyes to new ways of thinking or that like certain things you kind of took back with you, um, you know, here that you were most excited about? Um, I think in Japan, one thing that really caught my eye that they do differently is they think in details a lot. Um, they think in details before they think in the big picture. So they think of how they want to create their big picture by thinking about details first. A lot of times in America, we work backwards. So we think of our big picture and then we create the details afterwards. So, um, I kind of enjoyed kind of being able to mesh the two. Um, by whenever, you know, whenever I find, find it fit. Is there, is there a good example of that? Like in the States that, that you've said, Hey, this is a, this is a good chance for me to apply that thinking. Um, yeah. So if I am like, okay, I want to, if I want to try and gain, you know, five pounds of muscle, I'm like, okay, I want, this is my goal. Let me think backwards. How, what do I have to do to gain this five pounds of muscles? Well, in Japan, they're like, okay, um, you know, I want to, they're like, okay, I'm trying to gain muscle. Okay, I reached my five pounds. Gotcha. Okay. See, I, when (laughs) I gain weight, I just always say it's muscle. So it's just like, I just, it's it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. That's, we'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, like over the holidays, I gained five pounds. Must be muscle. That's what I always say. It's all muscle. Oh, <laughs> I thought I thought holiday calories don't count. Oh, they when you're when you're in your mid thirties as a guy, they count because they'd never go away. Those calories are with me for the rest of my life. Oh. Oh well. Um, well, hey, I just want to thank you. You give me so much time. We want to wish you the best of luck this season. Um, do you have any predictions or, or things we should be watching out for? Uh, uh, how many no hitters are you gonna throw? Um, I think I would like to throw three. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> um, you you remain the only you remain the only pitcher in the world who, when someone says how many no hitters, you just instantly you instantly have the number in your head because because it's attainable because you're the, you got the best arm in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? I don't want to sell myself short. You know, give myself a good chance to go for it. That's right. That's right. Well, well, thank you, and congratulations on the contract on the new team. Um, we, we, we're in your corner. Keep keep pushing the boundaries for um, women in sports, and uh, we will be rooting for you all throughout the season. All right. Thank you so much, and go dogs. Yeah. Hey, thanks for all the time. That was great. When you think about a movie with Michael Jordan in it, you think about Space Jam. And sure, why not? It is by far Bill Murray's best work. But what you're overlooking from that same general time period is that Michael Jordan has another Hollywood creation, a made-for-TV biopic called Michael Jordan, 
an American hero. Billed as the unauthorized biography of Michael Jordan, which I have a few thoughts about that billing, the movie follows his heirness from North Carolina all the way to his triumphant return after his first retirement. And it stars Hollywood mainstays like Ernie, the legend Hudson, Debbie Allen, and Robin Givens. It's also by far yeah, Robin. <laughs> yeah it is also by far one of the worst fucking movies i've ever seen in my entire life so we, really we're gonna break down some game film on right. michael jordan the movie we've watched worse movies on this podcast no this movie this makes the kevin durant movie look like citizen kane i i i was <laughs> horrified so let me start with this question for question for you adam is this a sports movie or a rom-com uh, it's it's neither it's a look uh about the it's a look at the rise and fall of michael jordan the celebrity uh the father the son and the gambler wait you said rise and fall which part was the fall because i'm pretty sure this was an utter whitewashing of his entire legacy uh i mean the the tragic gambling controversy, controversy, as well as the the torture he suffered when paparazzi followed him around the golf course. I just don't know <laughs> how you come back from something like that. Gareth. Did- uh, I, wait, I want to back up a second. I think any time uh, we watch a movie, the first question we need to ask is, Gareth, did you finish the whole thing? <laughs> Okay, so as I was watching this in a cab on the way to tape tonight, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I pictured that, if, no joke, I was like, you know what, if I was doing this podcast, the first thing I'd ask is, did Gareth watch this? <laughs> and so yep. Yep. I actually did think that. Now, fortunately, at this point in our podcast history, Brad knows enough just to say, and if you're not going to watch the whole thing, I suggest the following time codes for discussion points. Yeah, the, the, the locker room argument at minute 38, because this entire movie is for free online, because if anyone paid for this movie, uh, Michael sh- crying Michael should come to your house and deliver you the cash back. So, first of all, this was made for Fox Family Channel, which I didn't even know existed, and I covered entertainment for a window in the 2000s. Well, I don't know that it does. Does it still exist? I, I, mean, mu- I don't think so. I, I think it must have been rebranded or something. No, but it's similar. I guess we would call it similar to the Hallmark Channel, where it's family-friendly entertainment, and as you said, completely whitewashed movies. Well, okay, the beginning says, like, this is the unauthorized biography, and I was like, oh, maybe they're going to kind of get into, you know, there's a lot. I mean, look, Michael Jordan is an American hero when it comes to, you know, sporting excellence, but his his career has a lot of baggage uh, from the, you know, the, the real allegations of, 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 you know, a distinct gambling problem to, um, you know, his history of potential, you know, alleged out-of-marriage out of affairs, um, you know the the you know the, ultimately the the marriage um, he and his wife divorced. Uh, so this is very much just like a sanitized love story. They do mention the gambling, but it's it's like it's kind of like if Ahmad Rashad wrote this movie, <laughs> and it's like MJ, were you at the casinos at two thirty? And he's like, no, I wasn't. And they're like, great job, moving on. 
Well, and, and they excuse it away by saying, hey, this guy, he's a competitor. And so he is at the University of North Carolina with his roommate, Buzz, who seemed made up, uh, but it was an actual player. Um, and they play Monopoly all night. And you're like, hmm, is this going to be foreshadowing slash an excuse for Michael's addictive gambling uh, story that will be told later in this movie? And it uh, seemed to me that was exactly what they tried to do. Hey, Adam and Gareth, this is interesting that you say that they did actually get that detail right about his college career. Because let me tell you a few details this movie got way wrong. Okay. <laughs> the 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 announcer says they beat the Knicks to go to their first NBA Finals. Like They make a point to say they beat the Knicks. They're going to the NBA Finals. They beat Detroit to do that. Why did you get that wrong? Uh <laughs> They, it's, it shows them winning the 1991 NBA Finals at home when, in fact, they were on the road. It says that the first game back in 95 was at home. It was on the road at Indiana. And in 1993, they say that um, uh, the Bulls, they distinctly say, and the Bulls, uh, or the New York wins game three of the Eastern Finals versus, uh, uh, versus the Bulls. Uh, you know, to show Michael struggling with the gambling allegations and stuff. The Bulls famously came back from an 0-2 hole in that series and won four straight. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that this thing has to be like 100% factually, you know, accurate. And I'm not saying that a movie cannot take liberties with with actual history to tell a greater cultural or narrative truth. But dude, it's Michael Jordan's career. Google this stuff. The internet existed in 99 and anyone with a working history should know that like he didn't beat the Knicks to go play the Lakers in 91. It's so mind-boggling how this stuff is let, so wrong. Let me tell you the first thing I noticed in in the movie that and I I noticed those as well, but in what in the movie what was supposed to be 1984 and Michael Jordan's rookie year it shows him playing against the phoenix suns and occasionally they tried to sneak in real life characters uh or real life players into the movie um and on the phoenix suns uh is kevin johnson who would not be who would not begin his nba career until 1987 and then famous uh rapper uh cedric sabalas who would not Joined the Phoenix Suns until 1990. <laughs> How do you get this so wrong? It's insane, uh, you know. And and I perhaps we're holding them to a higher standard because this is a movie that, in the year 1968, everyone dresses like it's 1994. <laughs> like they're wearing <laughs> acid-washed <laughs> jeans and like like Z Cavaricci shirts, and you're like, what is? Who is the production designer on this? Which is ironic, since in 2017, Michael Jordan is still dressing like it's 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen the, the website, What is Michael Jordan Wearing? I wish they continued to update that. It's it's really an amazing piece of cultural legacy. One of the great tumblers. <laughs> yeah, I actually existed. looked at it 15 minutes ago, Brad, so yeah, I sure did. <laughs> uh, Gareth, did you did you notice how bad the, the, like the, the fake uniforms were like the bulls uniforms because they don't have the rights to the nba or the bulls so they just kind of like try to fake it but they use iron-on letters and just can't pull it off at all well that's what i wanted to say like so i thought this is a good topic for right now not just because of talk of reigniting space jam but number one but number two super bowl 51 happens 
and they want to do a Malcolm Butler movie, and they want to do a Tom Brady Deflategate movie. The problem with making movies about these moments, which are have the biggest stars on the biggest platforms, is if you don't get the rights, they look so small and stupid in compared to the scale of these events. Like Michael Jordan winning his first championship was huge and epic, and those time like that was the pinnacle of sports for a decade, if not a longer period, like the NBA of the mid to late nineties. And so you make this movie that just oh, it just it just looks too small. That was a huge. Like, they always do. I get that. But, man, you just you can't make a movie about somebody that big without the rights. It does not work. Yeah, I mean, we, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that the guy who played Michael Jordan is in jail for murder. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, let's not laugh. I don't know if that's appropriate to laugh about. But, yeah, he did. Um, he, he murdered his wife in 2014. Um and after having murdered this movie 15 years earlier. <laughs> I mean, it's and you know what's crazy is like I didn't I didn't even know that. Adam kind of gave a text and he's like, "FYI, in case you guys didn't Google deep enough, this guy's in jail." I looked at his up his IMDb, it does not do a good enough job saying, "By the way, this guy is in jail." Cuz he was I, he's Right, we did not do the Shazam-esque follow-up interview with this guy. Yeah, he he's so. in <laughs> He, yeah, he's, yeah. he's not in a lot of stuff. I mean, he was in The Shield. He was in Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li and DMX. Uh, he played a Black Panther in Forrest Gump, and now he is um, in prison. Yeah, now he's playing somebody's girlfriend. Here, okay, this is this is an interesting question. I feel like he's got zero charisma, but then I was I was like, but is that by design? Like, because if you said to me, play Michael Jordan. I would try to dial all the emotion and humanity out of my being like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. Like a, just a person playing a character of a person they feel like you should you should be talking to and they and they're talking normal. Do you guys agree with me here that like there is no way to play Michael Jordan uh, number 1 because Kobe perfected it for his entire freaking public life. And two, there's really <laughs> nothing to do to be Jordan when he's not on the basketball court. Right. The only place he had charisma, I feel like, was on a basketball court. Like he was edited to have charisma. Like I feel like the lo- like Gatorade commercials and Nike commercials. He was exceptional, but I can't imagine like he's not one of those guys now where you go back and be like, "Man, let me watch that long interview he did." But again, we've said this about a guy like Tom Brady in the past like I think Jordan knows that. I think that there's a reason why as he aged, he kind of, you just don't see him doing stuff anymore. He doesn't have to. And I don't think he loves it. So you mean doing stuff as in public appearances and interviews? Yeah. Like he doesn't do a lot. It is funny. This is interesting. Cause I was trying, I, I thought the same thing while watching this is who is, Michael Jordan, the person, and you're right, because he was marketed so well and his image was uh, cultivated within an inch of its life, it's hard it to know. I, I've only perfectly seen... Perfectly done, though. I, I, I've only... I was, a couple of years ago at, at an event, uh, a small event, I saw him working a room and talking to people at the bar, and he was... He 
did a he does a great job at making uh, people feel like they're the only person in the room uh, when he's talking to them and is very engaged and uh, makes it as much about them as him. But it, this is, I think, sometimes where we get caught up, where I was like, where we get caught up with athletes is maybe we don't expect as much. So when they are in a room and having a normal conversation, we think, wow, what a charismatic guy. And I'm not sure if that is the case. So um, back to your original point, Brad. Yeah, I don't know how you play this role any different because I don't think we know enough about Michael Jordan as a person truly to be able to uh, act like Michael Jordan or to make a movie about his personal life. I think that's a really okay, good... Oh, that, go ahead, Gareth. Well, no, that brings me to the point that I did, that I couldn't help but think as I was watching this in the back of a cab on the way to tape the podcast tonight. But as I was going through like all these events in his life, and they do try to, all details aside, they try to make it like comprehensive, like the gambling and his dad dying and he comes back, things like that. I was like, this guy led the craziest life. Like, he's... I was at a bar recently. I was talking to this woman. She's like, oh, documentary filmmaker. I'm making a six-part series about Scott Peterson case. And it's going to be like that OJ doc because it's about so much more. And I thought to myself, well, this is it. This conversation right here is the end of the true crime genre right here. This is like, <laughs> this is too much, you know? Uh, but as I was watching this, I was like, I'll watch an eight-hour movie on Michael Jordan if you can get anywhere with it. Like, I'd read a... Th- I'd read a 500-page bio on that guy. He led a crazy fucking life. A crazy... He had a crazy existence. And it's important. And it... it. I mean, look, we can joke about this. I, this movie was like a marketing endeavor and or a cash grab. Um, but I was like, man, there is room for a real movie about this guy. Because he is... That is... This, there's some wild stuff in there. Adam, what you said I think is very important, which is... Who is Michael Jordan the person? And what annoys me so much about this isn't just that it's it's a boring movie that I never really laughed, except for when I saw who they cast as Dean Smith. It looks like Jerry's dad on Seinfeld. I mean, it's just like obnoxious <laughs> casting. Um, but oh, the Phil uh, Jackson was pretty good too. Yeah, oh yeah, the Phil Jackson guy with the fake mustache. It's like, dude, they can't let this guy. They can't <laughs> find a guy with a mustache who's tall to play Phil Jackson. Um. But what really bothered me is it's not just that they're they're taking a lazy view of Michael. It's it's like you said, it's it's a marketing exercise. Like there's a scene where he's legitimately sitting with his mom and dad at the dinner table and and he's he's like asking her permission to go to the pros. And I'm like, oh, so he's trying to declare early. And then he one of his points is the Bulls already drafted me and offered me a $6 million contract. That discussion never <laughs> happened. Right. Like, he, when he was drafted and started negotiating with them, he was no longer asking <laughs> mom if he could go to the NBA. <laughs> like, so it, this movie's... <laughs> yeah, the conversation had happened. Yeah, this movie is inventing this... It, it's inventing a persona around Michael Jordan that I just... Number one... 
that I don't think you need to do because we've all seen a way more complex version of Michael Jordan because, I mean, he's not Jim Thorpe. Like, we have footage of him, like, being more interesting in the world. You don't have to pretend like he wasn't. And two, it just, it's not making any effort to show you, like, what was it about this guy that, that you know, that made him totally unique. I mean, it's... It's so annoying, and I and I feel bad because it's just number one. I told you guys to watch this movie, and I thought it'd be a lot more fun than it was. Um, and two, Ernie Hudson. Hold on, hold on a second. Let me say this: this movie would have been fun and more fun to talk about until we found out the main character is in jail for killing his wife. That takes a lot of the wind out of the sails. Yeah. yeah. I also Ernie That's what they Hudson call boner killer. Ernie Hudson was deserves much better than this. Like Ghostbusters. I think Ernie Hudson was the bomb in Congo. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that that little nugget out there. <laughs> um and then it it they ca- okay. This is another thing that really annoys me. Really annoys me. So you're trying to cast Juanita Jordan, right? Michael Jordan's first wife, a woman who, by all accounts, was a, a huge partner in his development as as a global icon, a very smart woman, um, a very astute marketer. And and so and yet, you know, always the rumors of, of his infidelities and, you know, he got slapped with a paternity suit a couple years ago and, and he ultimately beat it. But like there's always been I mean, he's Michael Jordan. So th- there's there's stuff to mine there. So you're going to cast her with Ro- with Robin Givens. You're going to cast this woman as Rob or with Robin Givens, a person who had one of the most tumultuous real marriages to a real celebrity athlete from the same time period. And you're going to ask that actress who lived the, the, the craziness out in her own life to play a boring version of this woman married to Michael Jordan. It's like casting Michael Jordan in this movie as the friend from North Carolina. <laughs> it doesn't make Great any sense. Point. Will, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other discussion even that we talk about today about the number of roles that the or the lack thereof, the lack of roles av- available for African-American actors. Um, and so Robin Givens, especially at the time this was made in 1999, may have been the only... Person it may have been one of the only options to play this movie, but you're absolutely right that I couldn't help but think I couldn't help but think the whole anytime she showed up on screen, um, her like I, recalling her sit down interview with Barbara Walters was it where she talks about Michael Jordan or uh, <laughs> Mike Tyson physically abusing her like it, she was a complete distraction in this movie. Can I talk about something that bothers me even more than her casting? Yeah, I I think that there were that this movie had a real opportunity. Um, there's a scene where Michael Jordan is a, a, a is a little boy, and he's at a pool party. Um, I think it's after like a baseball banquet. Michael Jordan, uh, young Michael Jordan, falls into the pool. Um, some of his white counterparts also get into the pool, and the parents um, pull their white children out of the pool. And say like you don't want to be in the same wa- same water as uh, as a black person like that water is infected which which there's no record that this incident actually happened but 
1977, when Michael Jordan was in high school, he was suspended for throwing a soda at a girl who called him the N-word. Michael Jordan admitted um, to having grown up in North Carolina, looking at his own family tree, that he had developed racist attitudes towards white people um, because of, of the KKK presence in North Carolina and kind of the after effects of that. So again, these were two actual things that happened in Michael Jordan's life. The uh, something that I don't think most people know, and I didn't until watched this movie and did some research, that Michael Jordan really has had some some issues in his life around race and uh, the white people around him. But the way they chose to address that in this movie seems to me like a total miss. And I think it goes back to as much as we joke about like the the characters being wrong or them um the, the characters being wrong or uh the the nba marks or whatever um again do a little bit of research and you could have made a much more meaningful and thoughtful movie about wait, Michael wait. jordan as a person so let me let me understand what you're saying here you don't think they were going for the most nuanced portrayal <laughs> hey, no. I know. I know. Here's here's why I know they weren't. Because when he gets cut from his high school team and they make it more dramatic than the end of Titanic, he sneaks the next morning <laughs> to see the coach and he's like, "Coach, coach, I can make varsity. Watch." And then the kid who's playing him dribbles one time between his legs and says, "See, I can make varsity." See, that's it. You dribble one. You're gonna get to school early. Then again, this is also a, a, a that's like the best dialogue in a movie that that features at one point Ernie Hudson playing Michael's father, hugging him, and then saying, "Okay, Michael, it's time to go to college." <laughs> <laughs> Exposition, much, Ernie? Hey, real quick, the basketball in this movie is some of the worst basketball that's ever been filmed. So I want to. I'm going to throw some. Yes. I'm going to throw some things at you guys, and you tell me what's what's better. What's better, this this basketball or the episode of Fresh Prince where Will becomes a ball hog on his team? Uh, I love that one. Fresh Prince is better. Okay, even though they're playing on like nine foot hoops. Even with an eight, yeah, I was gonna say eight foot, but yes. Okay, what's yeah. better, Fresh Prince this movie or or Michael J. Fox jumping from the foul line in Teen Wolf when he's playing himself as Scott? Listen, let's not. We I think we have a whole other episode on Teen Wolf, so. <laughs> Let's save that. Clearly, Teen Wolf is the winner here. What's What's worse, this or masterpiece? Make them say, uh. uh what's worse? Uh, this is worse. Yeah, I yeah, would I mean, But I would that's agree. a music video. Like, They didn't even use any of his signature moves or signature games. Like, It wasn't like they recreated the shot or... I mean, they, clearly the dude... The dude just couldn't play basketball in a way that looked much like Michael Jordan. So they just were like, you know what? Scrap all the lot. Scrap like let's just pretend like they beat the Knicks and like forget, you know, forget you know X, Y, and Z happening. I don't know. In fact, the only the only move I think they recreated was the in the national championship against Georgetown. Michael Jordan makes the crucial jumper um, towards the end of the game. That was the only real-life basketball moment that was incorporated into this movie at all. Right. Also, because that involves a 15-foot jump shot from the elbow, as opposed to like, exactly. okay, now take off from the foul line and dunk it. You know? the, only other thing I'll, exactly. the only thing I'll say to kind of close this out is 
and by the way, the whole thing's online. It's I would recommend people go check it out as a curiosity, but don't don't go expecting like a really funny good time. Um, like so uh, cheesy, it's, it's it's worth it's, watching. It's definitely worth watching at work. You know <laughs> yeah, <mean>? like <laughs> um, the last thing that really annoyed me was in the scene where he first shows up. Uh, it, it, when he first shows up to his um his his college uh you know practice, there, a dude throws down a pretty thunderous dunk. Um, as Michael comes up to the court, I swore that was George Lynch former Tar Heel. So then I, I went down this rabbit hole of like Googling George Lynch to see if he was in this movie or in other movies. And I went back and watched it. <laughs> totally not him. Like what a waste of my time. <laughs> it's just uh, super frustrating. That's a bummer. Good metaphor uh, for this movie. Well, just can I make, can I make a re- recommendation coming off of this movie? Cause it actually, so as you guys, so I think we, watch this on YouTube and as you know once the movie ends another one comes on one of my favorite basketball movies uh, of all time is a biopic as well I don't know if you're familiar with the name Earl Manigault but um, Earl Manigault was a New York City playground legend um, and he he never made it because of a, a problem with heroin and some other things that went wrong in, in his life uh, there's a 1996 movie um, called um, Rebound the Earl Manigault Story. It begins with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar upon retirement saying that Earl Manigault was the best player he ever saw in person. And then we see a young Don Cheadle um, playing the title role oh. of Earl Manigault. There are, um, there are cameos throughout from, from real-life NBA players. Uh, including uh, Joe Smith, who plays Connie Hawkins, uh, and Kevin Garnett actually makes an appearance as Wilt Chamberlain. So uh, a really fascinating movie, really good acting, actually. So if you didn't like uh, Michael Jordan, an American hero, you're human uh, and you have good taste. Uh, But watch the 1996 movie Rebound, the Earl Manigault story. You can find it on youtube a much better biopic uh even though it doesn't have as happy of an ending uh just an incredible movie well i don't know this one does have a happy ending where the end title card comes up and says that in 1999 michael jordan retired forever (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's it you know what like as he's aged and he's become such an interesting figure there's this line from george orwell at age 50, you get the face that you deserve. Like, Michael Jordan got the face he deserved at the end of it. You know? Like, he just... I can never tell if he looks happy ever. Like... True. It And I think it just comes from all that pent-up... Like, how do you compete for your entire life? So, as George Carl put it recently... That guy will bet on if the door is going to open. So, <laughs> hey, but, yeah. uh, but, but credit to Michael Jordan. I think the movie addresses this as well, that uh, as an influential African-American athlete, there's always a criticism of him that he wasn't doing enough for the community. And I do think we're starting to see him be more outspoken on, issue, on a lot of issues. And to um, the topic we started this podcast with, he has stepped in and tried to mediate between 
uh, James Dolan and, and Charles Oakley and bring some peace to that relationship. So I do think... And you know what else? Um, like this weekend is NBA All-Star Weekend, and it's yeah. going to happen in New Orleans because he was part one of the people who said to the state legislature in North Carolina, if you don't fix your trans bathroom law, we're going to move this thing out of here. I mean, like, look, I think he's a fascinating, fully developed character deserving of a better biopic (laughs) or a full biography. And maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll write it. Yeah. Michael, call us when you're ready to work and uh, we will be ready. All right. With that, we're going to call it a, a discussion on Michael Jordan, an American hero. We'll come back. Um, <laughs> better title would have been Michael Jordan making a murderer, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Second, second, second degree. Second, cut, let's, cut, let's call it. Let's, let's call it. <laughs> we'll be back with distractions after this. And we are back. Okay, in life, there is work and the stuff that distracts us from work. And uh, that's why we're so sympathetic and supportive when athletes have things that distract them from their day jobs away from sports. So, with that, we are going to tell you what's been distracting us. Gareth, why don't you start this week? Uh, yeah, I really want to, if you haven't seen this, it was online a bit. Um, the Atlantic and Michael K. Williams and Wyden Kennedy made a short film uh, called Typecast, I believe, where Michael K. Williams, actor in The Wire, uh, uh, various HBO shows, tons of movies, things like that, uh, is sitting alone on a couch asking himself if he's being typecast. Uh, it's about three minutes long there's no music stars only michael k williams uh it's the best short i've seen in a really long time it's very thought-provoking it's really funny uh so go find michael k williams on the atlantic typecast i think the tagline at the end is question your answers uh it was exceptional so watch that this week cool adam how about you um, this isn't so much a distraction since it was part of work, but I do think there are those moments in our professional lives and, um, the three of us are lucky enough to get to do pretty cool things from now and again. And, uh, we did a shoot earlier this week, um, with Damian Wilkins, who's still at 37. Um, he played nine years in the NBA D league played or in NBA, uh, played, uh, a couple years in Europe, I believe. And He's still in the NBA D-League at 37 because he loves the game so much. Um, and long story short, we did a, um, I did a shoot with him earlier this week, and they needed uh, a trainer to design the basketball workout. And uh, as someone who would coach basketball, I got to put together a, a basketball workout for Damian Wilkins. Um, I met his uncle, uh, Dominique a couple years ago who was really a delight and uh, working out with Damian Wilkins a couple days ago it was just kind of like in that moment you were like you know work isn't so bad all the time and uh, really just the nicest guy one of the nicest athletes I've ever met so um, just taking a moment to have t- having a moment of gratitude to say like this is pretty cool and then also shout out to Damian Wilkins for 
being such a good sport and allowing me to uh, have him shoot jumper after jumper, do burpees, uh, a lot of other stuff. We had a great time. That's cool. Gareth and I were just talking about trying to get Dominique on the show. He was my favorite player growing up. Yeah, I thought about asking Damien, uh, but I didn't. Yeah, a couple years ago, Brad, I don't know if I told you this, but he was at a Gatorade Player of the Year announcement, and my job for the day was just to walk Dominique around, and all he wanted to do was talk basketball. And so for and then his car service failed to show up, so I had to drive him back to the hotel. So I spent a day with Dominique Wilkins, and he just talking basketball, which again, uh, the the thirty six year old me was ecstatic about it, uh, but the twelve year old me was doing backflips. So um, yeah, shout out to the Wilkins family. Man, that reminds me of <clears throat> a certain event I worked at in in the D.C. area where I picked up a former NBA player, well-known guy, took him to a high school game, and uh, he spent the entire car ride uh, talking to his mistress on his burner phone. <laughs> we, will, uh, we will not divulge who that, <clears throat> that gentleman was. Okay, my distraction, guys. Explainer videos to really complicated <laughs> movies. Um, there's an awesome one on the movie Primer, which I believe is the best time travel movie ever created. And it's about, there's a bunch of these, but there's the one that's like an illustrated explainer that's like 20 minutes long. I watched it on the train this morning and I still, I still don't know how the timelines work in that movie. Uh, and then there's a there's another really interesting one I watched to the movie Enemy, that Jake Gyllenhaal movie with the spider motif. And a lot of people think it's about the state of marriage. A lot of people think it's about uh, living in a totalitarian state without your knowledge. So, you know, Google crazy ass movies and uh, and their explainer videos. Also, I want to say this. If you're doing if you're doing a list of most complicated movies of all time or you know most confusing movies don't put inception on it there's two ways to interpret that movie he's either awake and back to reality or he is at least one layer up in consciousness and uh accepting accepting his kids back into his world and he's still asleep end of story all right that's all i'm gonna say about inception Uh i love inception but come on it's not that complicated not as not nearly as complicated as Michael Jordan, an American hero. There's yeah. two interpretations to that. One is it's a standard biopic that whitewashes all of the nuance from his life, and two is the entire thing is a Jacob's Ladder scenario taking place in his dying father's <laughs> head after he, him being shot. God, Cut. Hudson, come back to us. <laughs> it's a re- it's a it's a it's a replay. It's like it's like his entire life flashing in his eyes and it's somewhat weird and dreamlike which explains why the uniforms are different and uh and all that stuff yeah cool (laughs) okay and on that note that's our show for this week i want to give a shout out to monica abbott and uh uh uh, you know her her great agent matt who i worked with who set up the interview for us Uh, i think She's just a really interesting person. I think on the show, we try to talk to people from a wide spectrum of professional sports, and I like what they're doing with the Women's Fast Pitch League. I think it was a nice window into the pressures of being not just the face of a team, uh, the face of an expansion franchise, but the entire face of a league and and one of 
a handful of faces of an entire movement happening in women's athletics. So thanks for Monica for coming on and, and talking to us. Uh, you guys got any shout outs? Shout out to Vinicardi who told me this morning about his update to power listen to every single episode we've done. Nice job, Vin. Boom. I probably haven't listened to every episode we've done. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And uh, Hey, look, I have to say this, like chasing guests, going after people, putting together a good show. It takes a lot of work and there's certain guests that all of us want to get. And, uh, I know this was last week's show, but I just want to say like, I want to give a shout out to Keith law for coming on. Cause I, I thought that was one of the coolest ideas. I love his hobby. Uh, and I know Brad went after that one for a little while. So I was stoked when Brad wrote, Oh, Hey, I'm going to talk to Keith law. Like that was great news. Thank you, Keith law for coming on the show. I just wanted to say that personally. And that is exactly what this show should be doing. So great. Yeah. Work. By the way, shout out to the like five different people that I tried to go through official channels to email to get Keith Law that never got back to me, and then I just tweeted at him, and he got he emailed me within like an hour. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. That shows the great responsibility of being an athlete <laughs> rep. Uh, like, right. I, I I think if I had one piece of advice to athletes, it would be. Be careful who represents you because people may think you're a huge asshole without you ever doing anything because of the people you choose to represent you. Right, right. Exactly. I, I mean that sincerely. There are a lot of guys who are like, that guy's a total asshole about athletes I've known. And I've said, no, he's not. He's a great guy. Well, I can't ever get a hold of him. Oh, well, let me connect you. Um, so anyways, I, I could digress down that rabbit hole. But I'll give a shout out to... Uh, to my dad. My dad turned 69 years old today. Uh, nice. Very, my my dad, very uh, wise, patient man. Uh, interestingly enough, I think Michael Jordan's birthday, was it yesterday, Brad? Or is it tomorrow? I always get Michael Jordan and my dad's birthdays mixed up. So full circle, I did remember because of Facebook that my dad's birthday is today. So happy birthday, dad. Happy and birthday. as usual, as usual, uh, shout out to the rest of my family as well. Uh, my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, yep, Lil yeah. Swanee, Meech, who uh, oh. made the birthday cake today, Ron Mack, <laughs> who uh, who uh, purchased the balloons, and uh, my other cousin Ron who uh, pitched in $5 for the present. Uh, shout out to all you guys. Yeah, actually, it was Ron Mack who threw down that thunderous dunk in the North Carolina scene in MJ, an American hero. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ron. You got to update your IMDb, buddy. And with that, in the immortal words of another athlete, actor, Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.